Welcome to the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Chris Tucker from the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and the podcast founding editor. Today, we continue the special series featuring selected articles from our open access online companion journal, Arthroscopy Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation, focusing on the rehabilitation aspects of patient care and orthopedics. Today, we are discussing rehabilitation and return to sport as it relates to arthroscopic hip surgery for femoral acetabular impingement syndrome. I'm excited to be joined for today's episode by Dr. Andrew Gieslin. Dr. Gieslin is a sports medicine surgeon and assistant professor in orthopedic surgery at the University of Vermont. He's a team physician for UVM Athletics and is active in ANA and AOSSM, and he's a member of the Arthroscopy Journal editorial team as the infographics editor. Dr. Gieslin was the senior author on the article titled, Rehabilitation and Return to Sport After Arthroscopic Treatment of Femoroacetabular Impingement, a review of the recent literature and discussion of advanced rehabilitation techniques for athletes, published in the January 2022 issue of ASMA. His co-authors include Mark Holling and Scott Miller. Andy, congrats on your work and welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I frequently listen to this podcast and it's been really great to observe its growth since inception. I think it's really important to recognize my co-authors specifically because they're on the front lines and that was uh, Mark Holling and Scott Miller and they're friends and co-authors and they really take great care of our patients and they have a very innovative approach, I believe, in taking care of everyone from the high-level athlete to the what people are often calling the tactical or industrial athlete, and patients just trying to return to their their hobbies that might not be a high-level athletic pursuit. But tailoring the rehab appropriately, I think, is really key. And that's what we were trying to focus on this. So thanks again for having me. Well, it's wonderful to hear that you've got some great rehab partners. Uh, I share that same luxury as well. And I look forward to talking more about that important relationship uh, later on in the podcast. So let's get right into it. As we know, recognition and accurate diagnosis of hip pathology, including FAI, has increased significantly in the last two decades, with a corresponding significant increase in the performance of arthroscopic hip surgery. As with any sports surgery, appropriate rehabilitation is critical to the success of postoperative recovery and return to sport. However, as you noted in your article, in spite of the substantial expansion of surgical management and investigation into diagnosis and techniques and outcomes research, there's really a relative paucity of articles on the post-hab rehab and the return to sport protocols for hip arthroscopy. This is obviously a pretty large topic, but we're going to do our best to try and discuss the major highlights of these various aspects outlined in your article. We've got a lot to unpack here, so before we dive into the finer details, could you just introduce yourself a little on you and your experience with hip arthroscopy? Yeah, thank you. My exposure to hip arthroscopy started in residency, and that really sparked an interest in the topic, but the majority of my training came during my sports medicine fellowship at the Sedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado, working with Dr. Mark Philippon. I've now been in practice five years. I have a sports medicine practice at the University of Vermont, as you mentioned, and it focuses on knee, hip, and shoulder injuries. And hip arthroscopy, as I believe a lot of our listeners will recognize, has a high learning curve or a challenging learning curve, arguably more difficult than knee and shoulder arthroscopy. And it takes an active pursuit to both build the skill and to develop the diagnostic and and treatment abilities to have a successful practice, I believe. Yeah, as you report in your paper, your most important finding was that there's some relative uniformity in the general rehab guidelines for hip arthroscopy. 
with what you referred to as this four-phase approach, although there is considerable variability in the return to sport testing, I'd like to tackle each of these topics individually. So let's just first start off. Let's level the playing field for everybody listening and outline first why physical therapy is so important for patient recovery. And secondly, is this four-phase rehab program following hip arthroscopy. Absolutely. I'd like to break that down. So during my training with Dr. Philpine at the Southern Clinic, I observed the Howard Head Sports Medicine Group, and that's the physical therapy group there, as well as the athletic trainers and their key role in the rehabilitation process. And we'd participate in group rounds. We would round specifically in the physical therapy setting and would see our patients very shortly after surgery. And I think that that interaction really fostered a team approach it helped the therapist know exactly what we saw at the time of surgery and helped them think about their rehabilitation process and not think that every hip scope was the same because they're really uniquely different in a lot of cases. So having that uh, side-by-side role in the early post-operative care and then being able to follow the patients with the therapist through their recovery, I think was really important. And I think that helps to engage the patient in their rehab process and helps their educational process. The four-phase is, in my opinion, a continuum. And my rehab program mirrors a lot of what I learned at the Stedman Clinic. And it starts out with protection of repair. So we want to have range of motion and initiation of light weight bearing. I typically will use toe touch weight bearing or foot flat weight bearing. There's a lot of different terminology for this, but in general, it's approximately 20 pounds. So some loading of the joint, but not full weight bearing. And some range of motion, but not the extremes of motion. And that's in the first phase. Moving on to the second phase, they're progressing with their activities of daily living, including walking and some light strengthening. For example, I saw someone who's at six weeks post-op in the office today with my physical therapist, and he was walking without a limp and performing range of motion exercises and gradually progressing to strengthening. Phase three is further progression of that strengthening, and oftentimes, there's a running progression, and we'll talk a little bit about the running progression and what we think are reasonable criteria for achieving that. And then phase four is progression to the sport-specific rehabilitation. So when I talk to patients, I say briefly that there is four, there are four phases, starting with gradual recovery and protection of the repair, moving to return to daily activities, moving on to strengthening and consideration for running, and then return to your sports or occupation. And I think they can understand that pretty well. Yeah, that's great advice. Segues nicely into my next topic, which was discussing this open communication with the physical therapy team, which you mentioned was really important for the surgeon. And I agree wholeheartedly. Can you just explain for us how open and frequent communication between the surgeon and the therapist can improve patient outcomes? Absolutely. When my partner developed our rehab program here at the University of Vermont, he modeled it similar to the VAIL program that I learned at the Sedman Clinic, and that's direct partnering with a physical therapist and that we'll see the patients with physical therapy, at least for their post-operative visit, their first visit, and then oftentimes for subsequent visits if they're doing rehabilitation at our institution. Uh, If they're doing rehabilitation elsewhere, we work with our therapist in order to get the right protocol to the other therapy teams especially if patients are traveling a distance for the procedure. We get them the operative report, and I think that's really useful, and it's a tip I learned when I was a fellow 
is to communicate with a therapist and the referring physicians with the operative reports. They have a reasonable understanding of what took place in surgery. And the communication, I think, helps the therapist understand the unique demands on this particular hip procedure and the recovery. And really, they're on the front lines. You know, they see the patients two to three times per week, whereas we're perhaps seeing them within the first week after surgery, six weeks, 12 weeks, and six months. They're seeing them much more frequently. So if we can communicate on different progressions of the activities, I think that's really useful. Sure. Now, you touched on this already a little bit, and I just really wanted to hone in on it specifically. I was hoping you could speak to the nature of patient education, specifically with respect to recovery following hip scopes, and specifically with respect to that physical therapy and rehab aspect. Can you just tell us how you educate your patients, what you do, when you do it, and what you tell them? Absolutely. And I think that's a great question. And patient education, specifically for hip arthroscopy, is really important. It's arguably very important for ACL reconstruction, rotator cuff repair. But hip arthroscopy is typically done to treat what many would argue is a chronic musculoskeletal disorder, not necessarily an acute traumatic injury, although some patients certainly present acutely. Oftentimes, there's some insidious onset where they've had to modify activities over one to two years or perhaps many more years than that. So I, I try to get a sense for where the patient is in their current functional level, what their functional goals are after treatment, whether it's surgical or non-surgical, and then how realistic are those goals. If their goal is to run a 5K, well, if they were running a 5K before their hip symptoms started and it's been six months, perhaps that's a reasonable goal. But if they haven't done that in 10 years and they struggle walking, that may not be a reasonable goal. So I try to set reasonable goals for their recovery and their expected outcome. And then it's important to think about their occupation. A lot of patients aren't 16-year-olds that have the ability to recover with their parents and return to school uh, with crutches when their recovery allows, but they have to go back to work or they're working to feed their family or they have to drive their family. So having them understand just the simple early post-operative recovery is really important. And then return to run, although it's not everyone's goal, it's a nice thing to discuss with patients because most can identify with running at some point in their life. And when we think about returning to run, we need to have adequate strength. And we explain to the patient that if you're on crutches for two, three, four weeks and then gradually returning to walk, it can take another couple of months before you'd be at a point of running. And I try to align their goals with their pathology level and their rehabilitation duration. And we think that can help them make a good decision about whether they want to proceed with surgery and also help plan their life around surgery. Yeah, those are some wonderful tips for surgeons getting started in their practice or even some of us veterans, you know, specifically how you refer to how you customize the treatment, you know, based on patient-specific factors, surgeon and surgery-specific factors. I think those are all some real significant pearls um, that you just handed out. Uh, as you said in your article, there's some general agreement on these rehab protocols following hip scopes, whether or not you strictly follow this four-phase approach or not, or some variation of it. But there's some considerable variability when it comes to the return to sport preparation and then even the testing and evaluation. Can you just speak to this challenge for us and describe what evidence, if any, is out there to help guide us on this topic? Absolutely. 
So ACL reconstruction has been studied pretty extensively, specifically with regard to return to sports. And it seems to be extended every year. We hear about delays in neuromuscular function, especially in the adolescent athlete, and needs to extend the rehabilitation process. And oftentimes people will quote 12 weeks as the timeline for return to run. But if patients were on crutches for four weeks and they're gradually walking and they're not even at the point of doing some impact, if we tell them they can return to running at 12 weeks, I think it probably sets them up for potential failure and disappointment. When we look at ACL reconstruction and rehabilitation, we think about re-injury. And we don't know that necessarily re-injury occurs in the hip with early return to run, or is it just an increase in symptoms? So I think first we have to think if we're going to the point of surgery, we need to make sure we do an appropriate procedure with the right indications for the right patient. And that includes an appropriate osteoplasty and treatment of the labral tear and preservation of the labral function and the capsule as much as possible. And if you do that, you can be more confident in the rehabilitation process and these timelines, but that still doesn't guarantee that people are going to be ready for returning to running at 12 weeks. There was a study in KSSTA in 2020 that reported asymmetry in the dynamic hip external rotation strength in patients returning to run when they were cleared to return to run at a minimum of four months. So if you're lacking glute max strength, your hip probably isn't ready to absorb that impact that occurs with running. And we know with impact at running, you can have up to a five times body weight reaction force through the hip at the time of impact. And if your muscles are asymmetrically weak, that's likely going to cause increase in symptoms. So oftentimes people quote 90% hip strength is required before returning to run. But I would argue that you should have 95 or 100% or maybe even more than 100% compared to your contralateral if you want to have a successful return. And the other thing is we need to be really transparent with what the expected outcomes are. And typically these studies report that patients have a significant improvement in their symptoms, but it's not normally an improvement to no symptoms. Generally, there's some underlying symptoms. And I think that's what influences patients with their return to run. Even though we may say it's okay to start the progression at 12 or 16 weeks, there's a great study by Dr. No, who's clearly a leader in the field and an expert technical surgeon that reported return to run on average closer to eight months postoperatively, and that patients tended to go back to perhaps a third less distance per week than they were before their uh, symptoms started. So having this in your mind, being able to help patients understand this and then help the therapist understand what are reasonable goals. I think it's critical for this uh, surgery and an expected uh, positive outcome. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, we've talked a lot about these principles of recovery and rehabilitation following hip arthroscopy. Now I was hoping you could just give us a little bit of your own personal experience and recommendations. How specifically are you approaching the patient with hip pain secondary to FAI from your clinic evaluation through their surgery and then returning them to sport? I think that's probably the most important part is making sure that you're selecting the right patient for surgery. And we see that throughout all of orthopedics. And I explain this to the patients that I need to correlate your symptoms to your physical examination and to your imaging. Typically radiographs or at least radiographs in all patients, but usually an MRI and or CT scan to look at three-dimensional or axial imaging. And if 
something isn't lining up or they have multiple sources of potential pain, we need to slow things down and make sure we've worked up those other sources and appropriately treated them non-operatively to the best extent possible. Because we know that patients that have multiple contributors to their hip pain tend to have lower expected outcomes after hip arthroscopy. And a lot of these patients are reasonably functional. They come in walking, they have pain with certain activities, but they can still be functional. And we have the opportunity to really maximize their non-operative treatment, focusing on their core and their glute strengthening and some um, modalities like anti-inflammatories or perhaps injections in order to make sure that they're confident they've maximized their overall non-surgical methods, but that they're also confident that surgery is a reasonable approach. Now, I do counsel them that there are some studies that show that symptoms greater than a year tend to correlate with slightly uh, poorer outcomes and a higher incidence of chondral degeneration, but I don't think we have randomized studies to really prove that. So I don't see a patient with 11 months of symptoms and say, well, we should operate within the next month to try to prevent degeneration. I still think we need to go through an appropriate non-operative course. And there's some really great uh, rehab programs that were developed, uh, some by some of the fellows out of the uh, Vail Clinic or the Sedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado, looking specifically at adolescents and return to sports without arthroscopic treatment for their hip impingement. And we need to be experts in the technical aspects of the procedure and indicating patients, but we also have to be experts in the maximization of the non-operative treatment. Yeah, that's a wonderful summary. Thanks, Andy. All right, so we've talked a lot about what evidence we have currently and how we've developed, you know, as a profession, the approach to managing FAI, uh, specifically with the rehab. All right, so let's focus our attention more kind of on the future. What do you think is currently the most important unanswered question with respect to the topic of rehab and return to sport following arthroscopic hip surgery? And what do you see as the most important next step for advancement in this field? That's a great question, and I think there's probably a two-part answer to it. Number one, I think we have to be confident that we've done the right surgical procedure to the appropriate technical level. And what I mean by that is that we're confirming that they indeed have pathology or symptoms that match with their examination and imaging. And if we can confirm that, it helps give us confidence that the surgical procedure is going to be effective. And then we need to execute that procedure appropriately. So being cautious in the borderline dysplastic patient, being cautious in the patient that has joint space narrowing, even if it's very early, even if they still have three millimeters or more of joint space, but being cautious in our expectations for that. I think that's very important. So doing an appropriate procedure in the right patient. I believe that our current surgical approach is founded in our biomechanical understanding of the problem and is associated with good patient outcomes. But I recognize that the field is relatively young and there are likely going to be modifications to the surgical approach, including incorporation of intraoperative guidance, perhaps robotics, and hopefully better procedures to preserve the cartilage. So I think that's an opportunity for the field to progress and really perhaps extend the indications to more patients and to perhaps give a more predictable surgical procedure to patients. From a rehabilitation standpoint, if we have confidence in the surgical procedure, perhaps we can push the rehabilitation more aggressively, including earlier weight bearing and perhaps some of the advanced techniques that we talked about 
in our article with unloaded weight bearing in a uh, treadmill that takes the weight off the joint to some degree and uh, activation of different muscle groups and improving the patient's perception of that motion through different wearable sensor technology. I think all of those have the ability to really tailor to the person who's trying to have a more rapid rehabilitation as well as to have a rehabilitation to return to their sports to the uh, best of their ability. Yeah, those are some great thoughts. Um, I agree. Some interesting areas for continued, you know, investigation, research, and uh, continuing to try and improve our field. All right, Andy, uh, do you have any other closing thoughts or comments before we wrap this up? I would just like to reemphasize that a careful diagnosis correlating the patient's symptoms, exam findings, radiographs, and CT MRI are really important. You need to identify physical therapists in your area that can support your practice and your patients and those that have a unique interest in the hip. And that's something that I've been working to do since I moved my practice to the University of Vermont. And I've had good success working with a number of the therapists in the region. And then it's very important to be careful to represent the procedure appropriately to your patients, really clearly explain the recovery process and the expected results and return to activity so that they can be fully engaged in the process and hopefully have the best outcome possible. Yeah, that's fantastic. Andy, I want to congratulate you again on this important work, and thank you for sharing your time and your thoughts with us today. Well, thank you for having me again, and it's my pleasure to be here, and I really want to highlight the important work that our physical therapists are doing out there. They're really working hard to take the patients from their surgery to their recovery, and without them, we wouldn't be able to do this type of surgical procedure and expect good outcomes. I second that. Dr. Geisland's article titled Rehabilitation and Return to Sport After Arthroscopic Treatment of Femoroacetabular Impingement, a review of the recent literature and discussion of advanced rehabilitation techniques for athletes, can be found in the January 2022 issue of the Arthroscopy Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation Journal, which is available online at www.arthroscopysportsmedicineandrehabilitation.org. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.